Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Tuesday, January 13th, 2015. I'm Kitsy Stern, and our show is produced as an act of love and service to the worldwide Kirtan community. It's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. As I think I've probably mentioned, there's a New World Kirtan band. We have seven members, and we do covers of chants we like. The Let's Play Kirtan podcasts are sets of the chants we play, along with the music. Our band has been together for several years, and this last week we started a partnership with our local Unitarian Fellowship to play once a month for a special Sunday evening service. Last Sunday night was the first one. The space and the energy is just ideal for Kirtan, and it was such a great evening. 65 people came, and I believe this partnership will continue something very beautiful that has been building here in our town. Corvallis means heart of the valley, and these days, I see it beating ever more strongly with a heart of love. It's a wonderful thing to be part of. This Kirtan Sunday night at the UU was my first with the new Bava Harmonium from Old Delhi Music, and it was such a pleasure to play. I especially love being able to add color to the music by alternating the stops. They each give such a different flavor to the music. And for a smaller harmonium, the sustain on this thing is really incredible. Nick gives New World Kirtan listeners a discount. If you enter NWK at checkout, you'll receive 5% off. Buying your instrument this way is a great way to show support for our podcast. And if you hear a chant you love in the podcast set list and decide to add it to your library, another way to support us is to buy it through the New World Kirtan website. There's always an iTunes widget up there with all the songs that are in the set. And of course, your donations are always welcome. Thank you. Shiva, or Shiva, has always been a difficult deity energy for me to get my mind around. In this week's show, we explore the energy of Shiva with Ian Basio, and I now understand a lot more about him and how he can help us interpret the physical and spiritual world around us. In this week's show, Ian will also tell us about the chant Om Namah Shivaya and how chanting this mantra can assist with our liberation. The interview was really interesting, and I hope you enjoy it also. I followed it with several Om Namah Shivaya chants. Coming up in this series is Kali, and I've been doing research on her because we're doing that interview tomorrow. There are so many different interpretations of her out there. She's not at all what I expected. I think this is going to be a good one. As part of our band's new partnership with the Unitarian Fellowship here in town, there's also going to be a weekly kirtan and bhakti yoga study group. The first one is this Friday night. We're going to start with Ganesha, of course, and I'll tell you all about that next week. Life is beautiful, and there is so much to look forward to. I'll see you next week, my friends. And until then, namaste. I'm happy to welcome once again Blue Spirit Wheels' Ian Basio for another show on our continuing series on the deities. Hi, Ian. Welcome back. Hi, Kitsy. It's great to be back. How are you? Oh, it's Christmas time. I have a, I have a lot to do, but yeah, it's great. I'm having a good time. <laughs> so we're learning about Shiva today, huh? Yes, that's right. So one of the first things that we want to talk about is the name Shiva. So uh, we're, we typically uh, hear this name pronounced in this manner, Shiva, uh, with a long E sound as the first vowel. But in fact, in Sanskrit, it's something different. 
when you say the name of this deity in in Sanskrit, the name is Shiva, mm. with a short i, Shiva. And uh, it's really uh, uh, the vernacular languages um, like Hindi that have taken on this long e sound and becomes Shiva, right? But the original uh, pronunciation of the name will be Shiva. And so whenever you're doing uh, mantras in particular for Shiva, you can uh, play around with the idea of, of using that Sanskrit pronunciation and see how the vibration changes for you. So in the case of the root mantra for Shiva, it would be Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, rather than Om Namah Shivaya. Right? Ah. So that's a, that's, a fun, that's a fun and really easy way to uh, uh, get an experience of how the precise vibrations of Sanskrit can change the effect of something. Because uh, we're also used to saying Shiva, um, and then when you suddenly start saying Shiva instead, it becomes something really quite different um, than what you were doing before, more than you would think for such a, for such a small change. But um, to get into the basics of this deity Shiva, um, what we're looking at here, uh, from the point of view of the lineage that I'm coming from, what we're looking at here is one of the basic cosmic energies that represents the process of transformation. So from this point of view, what we're what we're looking at here is we have two different deities who represent uh, kind of polar opposite uh, uh, kinds of energy vibration in the universe. So on the one hand, you have Shiva, who represents the energy of transformation, which is um, like things changing from one shape to another or from one form into another um, and, and, and the process of things uh, being created and growing and changing and then being destroyed and, and, and disappearing, right? And then on the other hand, you have another deity named Vishnu, uh, whom we often call the preserver. And Vishnu is the energy of things remaining in their shape. Right. So remaining in the form at which in which they currently are. So uh, uh, it's it, it's the Vishnu energy that kind of holds things together, you know, where Shiva's energy causes the planets to move. Vishnu's energy causes the planets to move in a regular pattern. Hmm. Otherwise, if it, if it was if it was just Shiva moving the planets, they would be wandering all over the place because right? mm -hmm. they'd be constantly changing their trajectories. So, you know, you can kind of see it as being. Uh, uh, the idea being that if everything was uh, fully in Shiva's energy, then it would be pure chaos, like everything would constantly be changing and transforming and nothing would remain in its, its shape even for an instant, right? Everything would be constantly in, in motion. Uh, and on the, on the flip side, if everything was Vishnu, then nothing would ever change. Everything would remain exactly what it is right now in this instant. And it would never and, and it would never shift. So you can see that it's the interplay between these two deities, Shiva and Vishnu, in in the universe that that gives rise to the reality that we experience, where there's transformation happening all the time, but it's not happening too rapidly or too randomly for us to actually be able to experience it. Uh, although maybe sometimes it seems like it is. Um, you know, depending on your situation. But, you know, there's an interesting there's an interesting thing there about mantras for Shiva or for Vishnu, 
which is to say you can sort of look at your life and see what's going on. And if you find that your life is like very chaotic and uh, it's hard to to, uh, you know, really understand what's going on and lots of things are happening and everything seems to be random and you can't kind of maintain any sort of stability in your life. It might mean that there's too much of that Shiva energy running through you. And, and it, at that time, it might be good to work with some mantras for Vishnu. Uh, and then, of course, the, the opposite being true, you know, if you're stuck and stagnant and nothing seems to be changing and you really wish it would, uh, then you could practice uh, some Shiva mantras in order to get the, that transformative energy moving in your life um, and, and to, to bring about the changes that you're looking for. Oh, interesting. So at, a, at its root level, this Shiva energy is about transformation. Um, and in particular, the, transfer, the, the, the particular transformation that we're talking about is the expansion of consciousness. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we call Shiva the Lord of Yoga or Yogeshvara. So the Lord of Yoga in the sense that yoga is at its basic, uh, in, in its basic essence, is a process of transformation. So you start out in one state of limited consciousness and then you apply uh, yogic processes to your life and your consciousness transforms, it, it changes and, and becomes uh, more than what it was before. And so that's a basic function of Shiva's energy. So we say that anytime you're doing any kind of yoga, you're actually drawing on Shiva's energy in some way in order to facilitate that transformation of your consciousness as you move from a state of limited consciousness to a state of infinite consciousness or, or liberation. And you can see that um, that Shiva's energy really enters into transformations of all kinds, whether they be creative or destructive. So, so you know, it wouldn't be really um, it wouldn't really be be quite right to call Shiva the destroyer, right? You you would call Shiva the transformer because uh, he changes things from their shape. You can still call Vishnu the preserver because that's still what he does. Um, but I think, you know, I think that's, I think that that's a really interesting way to look at it now and, and to approach Shiva from that point of view of that he's, he, it's his energy that, uh, causes creation to actually happen, um, can be a really enlightening experience. Yeah. You know, I was re doing research on, on this today and I read something interesting that said that, um, Shiva is not described it, it was an interesting distinction between light and dark and that and that light has has a perimeter and a boundary whereas darkness doesn't darkness is just it's just there and that shiva is shiva is not generally mm -hmm. described as light shiva is described as darkness because darkness is always present right does that make sense in what you know about him uh sure yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the kind of things where you can think about when you look at these two deities, Vishnu and Shiva, um, you know, the Vishnu is always kind of depicted as being this sort of heroic character. Um, you know, morality is a big deal with Vishnu. Um, so he's always sort of the hero kind of defending, uh, you know, Dharma, which is sort of the right path that people are supposed to be on. Um, in order to in order to fulfill uh, the functions of their lives. And, you know, all of these characters who come down to earth, these avatars are always kind of these these big heroes that serve as examples for other people about how to live a good life. Right. So so that's Vishnu. 
But Shiva is far more uh, uh, ambivalent in that sense. Um, so, you know, within the Shiva spirituality, um, it's sort of like everybody is welcomed in there. And so demons worship Shiva and saints worship Shiva. And, uh, you know, everybody has some some place in that hmm. uh, in that energy. Yeah. And it's and with and with the Vishnu energy, it's quite different. Vishnu is always depicted as being sort of heroic and sort of uh, a source of light, really, as to use the the metaphor that we're using. Um, and I think that's right. You know, I mean, the thing about it is that it's sort of like light has to have a source. Yes. And, and darkness does not. Right. So you can. So darkness is sort of like the the absence of light, um, but it's therefore sort of ever present, mm -hmm. whereas the whereas the light only exists where there's a source to actually radiate it. Yeah, that ex that that kind of um, uh, uh, explained that a little bit to me. I mean, as to the kind of encompassing energy that he is and how he um, he fills that space. Um, it has been hard for me to get my mind around around this deity, around the energy, you know, like what it means and, and what, what, just what it means, you know, I know. Well, and it's not supposed to be easy. Huh. You know, I mean, you're talking about something, you're talking about something that is so uh, vast and cosmic in its scale uh, that it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not an imminent energy in any way. It's, it's, you know, Shiva's energy is something is very transcendent. Um, all the time. And, and Vishnu's energy would be very transcendent as well, except for the fact that he actually incarnates as a human being every once in a while. Um, and so people get really into to connecting to those human avatars. Mm. So, so Krishna or Rama, right? Um, because they're very imminent, whereas the Vishnu energy itself is also very transcendent and sort of remote in a way. Um, so, so grasping it is, is more difficult. But uh, yeah, I mean... I, Especially in our society that we live in, um, you know, we're taught to have very uh, sort of strict differentiations between these ideas of good and evil, I guess, you know, and and the morality of that in in, uh, you know, this energy of Shiva is is not so cut and dry, um, you know, and, and it forces you to have a different perspective on everything that's going on. You know, Shiva is like that energy that exists in nature um, that, you know, one might look at it and, and just see, you know, there's a lot of violence in nature. Um, there's a lot of living and dying and, and, you know, kind of dying in horrible ways. But, you know, we sort of look at that and go like, well, the animals are not evil, right? They're not like, you know, they're not intentionally... Uh, choosing to cause pain and 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 death to others that's just who they are it's just what they do you know it's it's just part of nature and shiva is like that as well hmm. i mean he he is the destroyer also you know the creator and the destroyer so um you know things things need to to fall apart and 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 return back to their constituent uh, uh, elements and essences in whatever way is necessary at the time. And sometimes that's peaceful and sometimes it's not, you know, but all of them are natural processes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in order to create new life, um, old life sometimes need to, needs to be destroyed. So, that's, um, that's right. and so, and so Shiva is, Shiva is a, a, a fascinating character because, uh, he challenges your preconceptions about what, 
is important in life and 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 how life works you know uh we we are we are uh, very much in this place uh i think in our society where where this certain kind of morality is taken for granted and uh and that may not be a good thing uh ultimately what, so, what kind of morality are you are you referring to just uh sort of like um uh you know what constitutes good and what constitutes evil mm. you know people love to throw those words around without really knowing what they mean you know, and 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 to engage with the Shiva energy requires that you uh, investigate that idea within yourself. Um, so so, uh, you know, and and there are there are forms of of divine mother that do the same thing. You know, Kali is a, a challenging energy um, and, and and she will tear apart your your preconceptions um, of who you are and what your place in the universe is. Um, and and this is a this is a, at its root is a, a basic yogic uh, process um, of, of kind of reevaluating who you are and how everything works for you. Um, and it's you know, so that energy is that energy is very important. So when we chant Om Namah Shivaya, which is mm. the chant to, to Shiva, right? Are there others? Yep. But um, I mean, that particular chant, what, what are we in, invoking when we chant that? Well, yes. Yeah, so there are, uh, of course, um, you know, at least a thousand mantras for Shiva, as there are for every deity, right? So every deity has a thousand names and there's a mantra for every one of those names. And then there's a whole lot of other mantras on top of that, so there's many. But there are there are particular mantras for each deity that are really important. Um, you know, in, in particular, like a root mantra like this or a mula mantra, uh, the one for Shiva is, is Om Namah Shivaya. It's called the Panchakshara mantra, which means the five-syllabled mantra. Um, and it's... It is, you know, one of the really powerful, deep mantras uh, that that exists, you know, in the current time and, and, and whose energy is is very available and, and accessible for us. Um, it's um, it's a mantra whose purpose, sole purpose is to expand your consciousness. Right. And it does so in the most uh economical and effective fashion possible. So, you know, all, you, you can think about it in terms of like all mantras are liberation mantras, right? All mantras are designed to expand your consciousness out to infinity, to a state of moksha, uh, state of liberation. And, you know, but but many of the mantras and many of the energies of other deities have have other uh, uh, other purposes uh, to the mantras as well. In addition, you know, like you might, like, I think we talked about them being sort of side effects, um, to, to the various mantras. This, this Shiva mantra has had, doesn't really have any side effects like that. It's just for expanding your consciousness. It's just for oh. bringing you to this state of liberation. Um, you know, if there's another per, if there's another kind of side effect to it, I would say that, you know, one of the interesting things about the mantra is that, um, you know, negative ego uh, emotions um, that are based on limited consciousness, um, they actually cause your consciousness to contract. It causes you to get smaller and more separate. Like when, you're, when you feel anger or jealousy um, or depression uh, or any of these kinds of things, it actually causes your consciousness to contract. And um, so 
this uh, this Shiva Mula Mantra Om Namah Shivaya can be a nice antidote for that um, in the sense that what it does is it causes your consciousness to expand. Hmm. Right. So if you're if you're in a space where you're feeling this anger or or jealousy or something like that, that's that's making you small, you can practice that mantra and it will kind of expand you back out again. Um, and then, you know, then you keep doing the mantra and, and you'll continue to expand outwards from there. But uh, Om Namah Shivaya certainly, um, you know, is is a mantra that for a long, long time uh, people have been practicing it. Lots of people have been practicing it. Uh, and, you know, over the centuries, uh, it's kind of built up. A, it's, it's as if uh, this is one of those mantras that's, uh, you know, kind of echoing throughout the atmosphere of the earth. And because so many people have practiced it in the past. And so, you know, there's an additional dimension to it. When you practice this mantra, you kind of plug into that energy um, that's kind of floating around the earth um, of this. And it's another one of those things where so many people are practicing this mantra all the time that, you know, whenever you sit down to chant Om Namah Shivaya, you can be pretty sure there's some, you know, a whole bunch of other people elsewhere in the world who are also doing it uh, <laughs> the same time that you are. And you can kind of plug into this sort of uh, planetary community of, of people who practice the mantra. Hmm. I'll probably use that chant to illustrate this too. And uh, and and you know the 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 picture that I'm going to use uh, for this for this blog post is Shiva Nataraj, yes. which I think most people are familiar with, but I don't think a lot of people know the the the, the meaning of um, Shiva Nataraj. Could you explain that a little bit? Certainly. So Nataraja is a word that means Lord of the Dance. Let's describe what it looks like first, because people might not know what it, it's. It's the Shiva dancing in the right. Ring of the, yeah. Yeah. So there's like a kind of a ring of flames, and and uh, and and Shiva is shown doing this particular type of dance um, in the center of that. Uh, the dance is called the Tandava, and uh, it's Shiva's dance of creation and destruction, and it's kind it's kind of a, a thing like the nataraja image is one that is uh kind of displaying the various symbolic aspects of of shiva's energy on a cosmic scale so this is when we look out into the universe and we see things changing and transforming right so galaxies and stars and solar systems and planets being born um or or you know, collapsing in on themselves and and dying, uh, you know, down into uh, the various transformational processes that we see occurring all around us uh, uh, on the earth, um, as far as, uh, you know, life doing what it does and the various cycles uh, of of the earth's movement occurring. This is all happening um, through Shiva Nataraja's vibration. So the dance is that dance. It's that movement of energy in the universe. It's it's the energy constantly whirling around and 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 doing all of its it, all of its stuff. And the the Tandava dance, which is uh, you could go to a, a classical Indian dance recital and see somebody do the Tandava dance, and it's it's some quite quite energetic hmm. uh, uh, as as a thing, and certainly worth. Uh, worth experiencing um really really quite beautiful so 
the dance is uh, the dance is happening, and you can kind of see in the image there's uh, uh, he's got one foot raised, and then the other foot is is kind of stomping down on this uh, this little uh, dwarf-like character uh, named Apasmata, and Apasmata, this this little dwarf demon, um, is is represent is representative of ignorance. Um, so the the ignorance about in this case with the Nataraja about how the universe works, right? Because everything in the universe, everything about the the process of of cosmic movement is contained in this Nataraja image. And then so the one foot's kind of stepping on this this demon of ignorance, and then the other foot is is lifting itself up off the ground, being up, uplifted into this state of liberation. It's been liberated from from the earth um, at that point. And then um, the hands, uh, in this case, I think uh, you've got the Abhaya Mudra, uh, which is the, the removal of fear, um, one of the most common mudras or hand positions that you see uh, depicted on the deities, which is sort of a, uh, it's a statement ultimately about how fear is at the root of all of our problems. Um, and, and what the deity is telling you through this is that here where I am, where the deity is, there is no fear. Um, and, and this is a, you know, doing what becoming, uh, becoming in tune or resonating with the deity is, is a moving beyond of this state of fear that we typically exist in. Hmm. Um, in another hand, he's holding a drum. The drum's called a damaru, and the damaru is—it's uh, this funny kind of a drum that has two heads on it, and I think you shake it back and forth, and it has two little uh, beads on strings, and it—and uh, it kind of makes this. There's a, uh, this kind of funny rhythm that it makes, and this damaru drum is uh, uh, kind of a—it's—it's it's symbolic of the rhythm of the universe. So the the it, you know kind of letting you or showing you that. Um, Everything that's happening in the universe is happening according to some kind of rhythm. You know, when we talk about energy, what we talk about is vibration um, and, and the rates of vibration that that energy is moving at all the time. So everything is constantly in motion. Shiva is constantly in motion and everything is rhythmic. Everything is, is moving at a beat of some kind. You know, there's a groove to the universe and he's playing it on that drum as he dances. <laughs> and um, and then let's see, he's got... Uh, one other hand that's uh, he's got the palm up and it, there's a flame kind of bursting out of his hand. And the flame is the fire of creation and destruction itself. So we look at this. We look at this fire um, as as and you can think of fire generally as being, you know, fire is something that's absolutely necessary for life to exist. Right. So without the fire of the sun and the heat that comes from it, we could not live. Um, without the fire that's at the center of the earth, right? We couldn't, we couldn't exist um, without, without, you know, uh, learning to control, at least to some extent, fire itself. Humans never could, we never could have become who we are now. Um, and then fire, of course, also is, is the, the uh, energy of destruction as well. Um, so it's, it's that energy that's kind of bursts out of him and that you, so you see it emerging from his palm and then you see it in the ring around him, where, where the fire is erupting uh, all around him and, and, you know, simultaneously creating and destroying uh, everything in the universe, which is what the circle represents. 
Hmm. Um, and then finally, there's the there's the this kind of beautifully draped uh, hand in which he, his fourth arm uh, is kind of draped forward and um, uh, is pointing at his upraised foot. And what it is is it's drawing your attention to the idea of liberation, um, like pointing at that foot, the the uplifted foot, which repre which represents moksha itself. Um, kind of letting you know, you know, with the one hand uh, saying fear not and the other hand saying we're headed towards this. Wow. Um, and it, it, the, uh, the, the, the way the hand is outstretched is also uh, often thought of as being uh, a symbol that relates to an elephant, like an elephant's trunk, and uh, that the elephant's trunk is something that... Um, uh, first of all, connects him to Ganesha, of course, but also the aspect of the elephant as being uh, uh, a guide through the forest um, is is how the is one of the the aspects that the elephant is thought to have, and and that you can think of Shiva as being like the elephant that you follow behind the elephant, and the elephant knows where all the tracks and paths are that lead through the forest and how to avoid all the dangers. Um, so you can follow Shiva along in his his dance. Um, uh, and and feel uh, a certain degree of safety. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. I mean, I've seen that um, that statue so many times and never really realized what what the symbolism behind it was. Sure, it's beautiful. Well, the, the important thing about the murtis, these these uh, uh, physical images of the deities is that nothing on the Murti image is random. Uh, everything has some specific symbolic meaning that relates to the energy of the deity. Um, so you can, you know, when you go ahead and look at any one of those, now you can just be like, okay, everything there means something, even down to, you know, the Nataraja images, um, Certainly when they first began to be made, I forget exactly the time period, I think it's the, the Chola uh, dynasty in, in India, um, it's very mathematical too. Um, the way, the, all of the, pr the proportion of the head to the body, um, you know, the height of things, you know, how big the circle is around, it has all, there's all these mathematical relationships involved um, as well. And I, I, I couldn't say that every Shiva Nataraj that you find today is made based on those uh, proportions, but it, you know, some of them are because some of the sculptors really know this stuff. Um, and certainly if you go to a, a, a museum or if you happen to be in India and in one of the temples that has one of these really old uh, Natarajas, you can, you can see that. And it's really, it's really quite stunning. That's interesting. Um, you know, a, a couple of years ago at Bhakti Fest, I bought a couple of, of uh, dolls. One, uh, they're beautiful, they're, but one is Ganesha and the other one is Shiva. Yeah. And um, Shiva has got tangled hair with a, a top <laughs> knot, and he has snakes. And um, I'm looking at him now, and, and he has, um, his skin is gray, and it's not blue, like, like Krishna, it's gray. Right. And that's right. from... Ash and I, I never really got that, so I just okay. wondered if you could. Well, yeah. So, so dating back to his his time, you know, when he had a different name, when he was called Rudra, right? Uh, so Shiva has always been, um, 
the primary deity uh, that has been worked with by these characters that we call sadhus or wandering holy people in India. And uh, the the sadhus, you know, do intense ascetic practices in order to um, kind of realize the impermanence of life, uh, of this temporal existence that we are uh, engaged in so that they can you know, expand their consciousness beyond um, these kind of temporary circumstances that we live in now. And so one of the powerful ways to do that uh, in India, certainly, is that the sadhus will go and they will meditate in cremation grounds. And so in India, um, nobody is, uh, people are generally are not buried in India, they're, they're usually cremated. And so every town has its own cremation ground outside the sort of the boundaries of where the, the, the living people stay, there's a cremation ground and, and um, the sadhus will go to this cremation ground and, and meditate there. And, you know, what they're meditating on is just this constant stream of people coming in to the cremation ground, the smushin. And, and uh, they are, you know, they're seeing just the, the, the bodies being brought in and, uh, and burned and disappearing you know, turning into ash and becoming nothingness. And it, it's a, a very powerful uh, uh, sort of experience of the impermanence of life, ultimately. And and so one of the things that the sadhus do is, as part of their meditation is they take the the ash from the cremation ground and they smear it all over their bodies. Oh. Uh, so so they, they have this ash, they kind of will have this ashy color to them as well. And, and the other thing, the other things that the, uh, some of the other things that the sadhus will do is, you know, they, they tend not to own, uh, very much, if anything, um, they, they try to keep their lives as minimal as possible. And, and, uh, um, you know, they, they, they have a different kind of, uh, idea about, uh, uh, hygiene perhaps than we do. And, uh, and one of the things that oftentimes the, the Shiva, sadhus particularly the shiva sadhus particularly uh do is they don't comb their hair and so their hair grows into these big dreadlocks and uh and they'll then they'll kind of curl the dreadlocks up on top of their heads uh and that's you know many of the uh many of the deities uh are depicted as having these sort of ornate uh jeweled crowns that they wear um and and shiva's uh, crown that he wears is his dreadlocks, um, you know, all kind of bundled up on the top of his head. Uh -huh. um, and it, and, it, and it's all just kind of relating him to this sadhu path, to this uh, ascetic yogi uh, kind of existence um, that, that so, you know, so many of his followers in India, um, you know, that's how they live their lives. Wow. Well, this has been really pretty interesting. Um, thank you so much for explaining a little bit more about this energy um, yeah uh, and next month which will be February we're going to explore Kali's energy a little bit which I'm I'm really looking forward to um, she's sort of a scary yeah. being for me um, I imagine for others too if you there, there's good reason for that yeah yeah so but I'm but, it, but it's a far you know the the, the fear that uh, that emerges through that is something that comes from you and not from the goddess, you know? 
that yeah. that that's I think what will you know will be really interesting to talk about in that interview. Yeah. But thank you so much for being here today. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you about this. I learn so much whenever we talk. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Well, thanks again and I'm looking forward to February and and talking about Kali. Om 
Shivaya. 